This is The Pass is Calling, the official podcast by Granda. Learn from the world's best chefs and boost your own career. Your host today is Valentin, CEO and co-founder of Granda. My guest today is Fatmada Binta. She's born and raised in Freetown, Sierra Leone, where she grew up during the dark times of the Civil War. There, she experienced firsthand how food can bring people together and tear down walls. In her dishes, Chef Binta tries to pay homage to her Fulani heritage, and she describes herself as a modern nomadic chef. She also launched a Dine on a Mad. Dine on a Mad is a pop-up restaurant that is traveling through Europe, the US, and Africa. With the pop-up restaurant, she's giving people around the world a chance to experience her Fulani home culture. Part of the experience is sitting on the floor and eating with your hands. Super exciting. I want to, I want to experience that once for sure. Besides that, she's also the founder Sorry. of the Fulani Kitchen Foundation to empower and support women in rural communities across Ghana and West Africa. And besides all of that, she also won prizes. Um, just recently, she won the Basque Culinary World Prize in 2022 and um, also got an, um, awarded by the Best Chef Award as um, the Rising Star of 21. Um, yeah, welcome, Chef Binta. Amazing to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I, I love your story. Uh, but first, for those who, who don't know, I, I did my research on Fulani Kitchen, but maybe okay. can you give us a small summary? What is Fulani cooking? What is the Fulani kitchen about? So Fulani is, so when you say Fulani, it's a tribe. It's the largest nomadic tribe in Africa. So they are cattle people. They rear cattle for living and they are spread out across the whole of Africa. So Fulani cuisine, it means our ingredients. And the thing about our cuisine is highly influenced by our lifestyle because we are people who are moving from one border to the other moving our cattle to graze. So most of our ingredients is sun-dried and ready for on the go. So our ingredients, our dishes, the only difference when it comes to it, if you're going to compare it to the usual African um, cuisine and ingredients, is because we sun-dried our ingredients. So a dish like um, something they call mafe in West Africa, the difference in the Fulani way of doing this is because we are using everything sun-dried. So... That's about it, about our cuisine. Super interesting. Thanks, Chef Binta, for explaining the heritage of your kitchen. And we talked about, or in the introduction, I mentioned you grew up during the Civil War. What were your reasons in that time that you decided to become a chef? Well, I grew up in a very traditional home. So meaning um, my family, they migrated from Guinea, came to the city in Sierra Leone, wanted a different life from moving from one border to another. So I went to school there, but usually every vacation, they will send me back to the village to go and experience the culture, the language, which back then I didn't like. I, I was against it, but there was this significant time where we spent two years because we couldn't go anywhere, the war. And uh, everything, the things that shaped me as a chef today was born from that because everything was done from scratch. We were fetching firewood from the bush. We are carrying water from the stream. 
we were going to the farm for our ingredients or just from the garden from our backyard. So as a chef, it really shaped me and my love for food. So after the Civil War ended, I moved back to Sierra Leone to continue school. But then that passion was already instilled in me for food, for community, for just bringing people together to food. So it became a heavy passion. And then I went to university, studied international relations, and I realized cooking was something I enjoyed doing more than anything else. And at some point I left Sierra Leone, I moved to Spain for two years and then I was, I was teaching English, but at some point I lost my job. So I had to come up with a way to survive in Spain. So I started making sandwiches, cooking African ingredients, and then I'll send it to um, African students, they will buy. So I'll do like a, like a weekly meal prep for them. And it was going well for me. So it got to a point where I was supposed to come back to Africa and I couldn't go to Sierra Leone because there was Ebola. So I came to Ghana and the idea was just to wait until Ebola is over and then I make my next move. And then I had a moment when I was in Ghana, a little bit depressed, you know, not being in the, not working. And then I realized, you know, it's time I pursue my passion and, and, and make it into to, to a, to a career, something that I can live off and something I enjoy anyway. So I decided to go to culinary school in Nairobi, Kenya for two years. Worked in a hotel in Kenya, came to Ghana, worked in two hotels. And then the nomadic spirit started again, steering. I wanted to, to venture out and do something that really speaks to me deeply. So that's when the, the concept Dynonymous was born. So on your journey, you made the clear decision to go back to to Africa. I mean, you could have stayed easily in, in the US or Europe and um, work in restaurants and become a chef there, but you decided to go back and start Dine on the Mat. What were the reasons to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was from curiosity. It was also from fond memories growing up and uh, working in the hotel, the professional space, I had questions. I was questioning things daily because some of these hotels, they are in partnership with Africans. And I, I was a little bit, I was, I was very curious to know why is it that I'm in Africa and I'm cooking the food I didn't grow up eating, the food I didn't grow up eating. So I wanted to understand that. And I wanted to understand my ingredients. I wanted to find an identity. And that part where I spent a lot of time in the village and my connection to African ingredients and food, and I realized that these ingredients are underutilized these days. People are not utilizing them. And most of them are so sustainable. And then also our culture is slowly fading away, especially the one I grew up in, where my family would come together for every meal, sit on the floor on a mat, and then eat with their hands and have a conversation. And that's how most of the values and morals were instilled in us. And I'm seeing now everybody's doing grab and go. You know, we're always in a hurry to eat. We, we are making everything too fast. And I wanted to create a concept that can make people reflect back into our sustainable ways, our sustainable traditions and, and, and culture. I have to admit, I know little about gastronomy in Africa. Can you explain what were the challenges you had while opening a re your restaurant? What are the challenges in general um, opening a restaurant in Africa? 
And how did you approach it? How did you approach marketing to your guests and yeah, getting your first customers? The challenge, yeah, the challenges I faced in the beginning was because I was building something that n nobody has built before. It's something new. I literally built a whole template. On I, and I wasn't intentional about it. So the fact that I was building a template, I was just following my passion. I was just trying to get people to experience what I grew up experiencing. So the challenges was also that I'm promoting food that people don't know much about. They know the people and there is a negative connotation even around them. When you talk about Fulani's, mostly people will, will raise an eyebrow. So it was tough in the beginning. I remember I was, I was I would promote events online and people would not sign up for it. That happened for like a year. I'll promote nobody will sign up. But then I didn't give up because I will end up inviting friends. Since it's something I, I enjoy doing anyway, I'll invite my friends. They'll come, they'll eat, we'll have a good time. And then we'll take photos and I'll post it on social media. Also, that's the power, you know, of social media. So, and then I'll do hashtags and then I'll, I'll write like vlogs and blogs, you know, just write a whole story around Fulani concepts, the culture, the tradition. Until the breakthrough was when a friend introduced me to a group of Yale students that were visiting Ghana and I hosted them. And even that event was for free. They came, they ate, they enjoyed it so much, the story. They took photos, they shared it and tagged me. And then after I shared those stories, everything changed. But it took me a whole year. It took me a whole year of investing my money, my time, and not getting any feedback. I have multiple questions on that. Um, first, how did you come up with the strategy of thinking, okay, I use social media, I use um, hashtags. Was it intentional? Was it more an accident or how? How so did that it was work? In, it was intentional because I studied international relations and I also studied marketing. So I understood, I understand marketing. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I used, I used my other, you know, background to, to, to promote my passion. So it, it helped. I understood marketing deeply. So I used, okay. I used that strength. <laughs> and, and the year where you said you, you know, there was, there was, literally nothing there was mm -hmm. just to fight through how did you get over that i didn't give up because for me i wasn't thinking about money also from the beginning i was never thinking about money i was just having fun i was just having fun experimenting cooking this food bringing people just the joy that i see when people eat that food they have. For me, it was honestly deeply the passion that was pushing everything. I didn't care about the money until later. I was like, okay, now I don't have another job. Obviously, this has to pay the bills. And mm -hmm. I invested a lot because I was traveling also. I didn't want to just start a concept without understanding the, the route to it because even though I'm Fulani from Guinea, but there are so many other Fulanis around Africa, across Africa. And I had to travel to compare the Fulani, let's say for the Fulanis in Mali, I wanted to compare them to the Fulanis in Guinea, to the ones in Sierra Leone. I wanted to really understand my culture for me to pride myself or, or, or you know, 
give myself that, that title of becoming an ambassador for them. So it was important to understand mm-hmm. deeply. So I started going to all these villages. I would just show up. But because I speak the language fluently, that was also um, an advantage. So I'll walk in, I'll speak, I'll spend like three days with them. I'll document, I'll cook with the locals. They are the keepers of our authentic recipes. And I'll write, I'll come back to Ghana and then I'll host events and then I'll inspire, I'll call them, for example, Fulani um, Dinonemat inspired by Mali, inspired by Guinea, inspired by Cote d'Ivoire. So I did that for a lot. So there was a lot of investment, time and money that went into it. When you do your pop-ups in Europe and mm-hmm. US, where people are not used to sit on the floor and eat with their hands, <laughs> at least mm-hmm. they are not kids or children. <laughs> um, <laughs> how 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 is how do they how do they react? It's it's interesting. So I've I think I have a way of making people do it <laughs> because it's the reaction the. the They've received it well. Like I haven't experienced any time where someone said no to me. It has happened in Africa, surprisingly. But whenever I do these events outside, people are so open, you know, and curious. And, and it's it's been a good, good, good experience. And how do you do you book restaurants for that or how how do you organize that because when you go to different cities it's a lot of organizational work to to ramp them up exactly it's a lot of logistics though that is a lot i think that's still one of our challenges but usually we either partner with restaurants or we just rent a space like galleries um shut down a restaurant and then we also hire because most times we don't travel with the entire team because it's either for visa issues and all of that. So we work with people who are on ground. So usually I'll scout for Africans who are on ground, who understand the culture, but then I mix it up with non-Africans because at the end of the day, it's also cultural, you know, um, how's it called, exchange. So have other people come and work with the team and just just have a moment and share that experience with us. So mm. it's renting spaces, hiring people, getting the ingredients on ground because you can't always get all your ingredients from Africa. So, so we, the things that we can take that are not perishable, like ingredients like grains, fonio, millet, we take with us. And then we use things that are seasonal in that city that we are, we are hosting. So it's, yeah, it also makes you, you know, appreciate other people's food and ingredients, but also you tend to fuse a lot and you learn what works and what doesn't. Okay. But it's, it, it sounds challenging to find, to find all the ingredients in those cities you, you might need um, for your Fulani kitchen. Or is, is that, is that a problem or, or do you already know where to get it and where, where do you get it at the end of the day? So most times it's, we know where to get things, but also because my culture is, they are nomads and the way we, we handle our ingredients is very different. It helps because most of our ingredients are sun-dried, so I can literally travel with it. There is no problem. We know what I mean. It's not like mm. beef. Mm. It's mostly okra. It will be dried, the okra. Anything you can think of, like the, the, the chilies, it will be sun-dried. So it's already dried. So you can you can take it along. So I, I don't have much challenge when it comes to ingredients. Mm. It's mostly logistics, like the calabashes that I would want to take, the mats, because they are heavy, you know. And I always want to make sure 
it's authentic. The experience is authentic. So if you're not trying to dilute things, it means a lot of logistics. So that's the only challenge we mm-hmm. face. And how do you sell the tickets? How how do people know that you're in the city? Is still that you still use your, your mainly social media or are there any other channels you're using? Yes, so we use social media and our website. We always update info on our website, which is on dineonemat.com. Or we use our Instagram page, dineonemat.com. Or just me, because I'm very active also on social media. So I always share information online. And so one thing I would like to jump in with you a little, um, which is super interesting for me um also for the listeners at the end of the day from different chefs how they develop their dishes and everything can you tell us a little bit about how you develop dishes how do you how do you do that how do you come up with ideas how do you decide at the end that you're gonna serve that dish put it on the menu That's a good question. <laughs> I so, mean, it's, it's different for everyone. So, I but know. yeah. So, mine is most times it's when I go to Fulani communities. I spend days, and then I walk away, and then I would think of something because most times I want to put an interpretation or a twist towards the authentic dishes. Sometimes I'm in the plane. I'm I'm on the plane coming back home and a long flight. And I'm thinking, I have my book and pen out, and then I'm just writing things down. Or sometimes it would be, I'm just scrolling through my timeline, and I will see somebody prepared something, and then I'll be like, hmm, this could be like this also. Like, it doesn't have to just be limited like this, you know? So for me, mm. inspiration comes from different places. It's not one place. Sometimes it's just street food. But mostly I get my inspiration from the most simple places where you will not look for inspiration. It could be, I would just, how was it called? Street food crawl. I do that all the time. I will randomly leave my house at night and go to, there's this place in Ghana called Jamestown. I would literally just go there and street food crawl, eat bits and pieces from different things. And I'll take my friends so we are not wasting food. So we'll buy small <laughs> things we share amongst ourselves. It, and they don't even know that I'm there for inspiration. We are just eating our way to one night. And the inspiration comes from there. What is uh, the latest dish you put on your menu? How did you get that? So the latest one is actually very simple, but it's good. So what I did, because we eat beef um, in our community, Fulanese are cattle people, they are always, um, how is it called? Slaughter, they, they will slaughter and sell, even though they don't eat much of the meat, but the bones are there. So the latest dish was, I took all the the bone marrow, all the bone marrow from the the bones and then i i smoke i grilled them first and then i i charred them and then i smoked the the butter from the bone marrow and then i mixed it with shea butter because shea butter is something also we eat in our community and then we use it for fonio bread and it's been a hit people love it what is for young for young women chefs it could be young chefs in general But um, as I believe strongly, and people need role models, and I think you're definitely a, a, a role model for young, for young, for young chefs, for young women chefs, and for young African chefs. Which tip, which advice would you give, would you give them when they are starting their career as a chef? Believe in yourself. 
Um, that's it. <laughs> Trust me. Believe in yourself deeply. Um, work hard. Stay consistent. And be true to yourself. That's it. It all connects to believing in yourself. If you believe, because imagine if I, when I started dying on the mat, it sounded crazy to, to a lot of people. That's what? You're going to have people dressed up in shirt and tie and sit on the floor. But I believed in it so deeply. And here we are. So believe in yourself and stay consistent. Don't change. Well, most times people start something and then they, they see something is trending and then they jump to what is trending, you know. If believe in what your buildings that you don't you don't waver because something else is is is, a, is the buzz right now, so stay consistent on your path. Mm. Work hard, and believe in yourself, but stay consistent. Mm. Because if I had stopped dynamat because oh no, chef's table in this way looks better, I wouldn't have gotten this far. I would have been successful, but I. I wouldn't have promoted Fulani cuisine on a global level the way I have. You know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a definitely a thing. You're not just built that on the one side, it's the thing you love, you know, that gives you energy. That is your passion, but it's also the way you build your brand, which differentiates you from all the others. And I think that it's a really um, good advice. And, and that's what a lot of, successful chefs actually say at the end of the day it's not just uh, jumping from one trend to another but you know doing create your own trend and um i, I like that a lot and what's your what's your next big goal what's next for you i'm st what's my next goal is to build my center that's my first for the foundation okay let me have two i have two goals for the foundation is to build the center and make it a space where women can thrive. And then personally, as a chef, I want to collaborate with more interesting chefs around the world. I want to promote Fulani cuisine a lot more around the world. And then I hope for a chef's table. I dream about it. I'm putting it out there. I never know who's listening. <laughs> So, so 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 you mean the the, the Netflix chef's table? <laughs> yes, I want a Netflix chef's table. I feel like I can portray African cuisine very well if I'm on it. That's uh, I would love to see it. I mean, you don't have a table per se. At least your your guests, but it's a different kind. And um, yeah, maybe someone is listening um, from Netflix that and says, okay, um, we're gonna do that. Um, I ask every chef or every um, guest at the end, what was the best dish you ever made and why? Um, what made it so special? I have too many. That's a difficult question. Okay, so I would say there is a dish I created, which um, I call it My Africa. And it's really about highlighting all the superfoods we have in West Africa. So bao bao powder, Uh, moringa you name it so it's it's a mixture of everything it's really really good i've tried so much to take it out of the menu off the menu people people come back and ask for it so it's still there but it's a very interesting good. yeah mixture it's one of those dishes you're eating even though it has so many ingredients but but you're tasting all the ingredients and 
it's by layer by layer. Like you think you've, you've tasted something really good, you'd be like, oh, wow, okay. This it's very, it's like a party in the mouth. I've tried to cancel it, but unfortunately, <laughs> it's still on the menu. How many ingredients have in it? Like seven ingredients. Yes, so I pair it with seven ingredients and I pair it with goat milk ice cream. So it's a a dessert? Yeah, it's a dessert. It's a dessert dish. And the reason why I I created this is because in Africa, we don't have many desserts, dishes for desserts. We, we, We don't have many. We can literally count how many we have. And uh, I wanted to do something that celebrates our mm. our important ingredients. Is, is there a reason for it? Is there maybe a lack a of sugar thing. or? Yeah, we are more into savory dishes. We don't do sweet much. And even mm. when we do it for like, if, like when we are celebrating something, some ceremony, mm. naming ceremony, stuff like that. We don't, we are not sweet tooth people naturally. And my last and final question, um, what, if you would need to pick your last meal today, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, which I hope you don't need to, um, and uh, (laughs) for a long time you don't need to, but what would be your last meal? What would be your last meal if you would say, hey, it's my last meal um, in this life? Can I have two? Yeah, can I have you, you can have a meals? menu. So you can have you can you can yeah you can, you can have two dishes, but That's not funny. two meals. <laughs> oh wow, this is tough. Okay, so I'll, there's something called okra soup. So okra, okra, just the okra, okra, okra. Sorry, where did yeah. there's a confusion? Some people say okra, some say okra in Africa. So I love it's like it's like a gumbo. Love a good gumbo, the African one we call it okra soup um they have this one which is seafoods and they do throw in all this um shrimp any anything under the sea they'll just throw in it's a really really good one it goes with rice and uh that's how we eat it in sierra leone and then outside african food i'm actually a big big sushi fan like i love sushi i'm obsessed (laughs) So um, you you would have a, a sushi as dessert, more or less. Yes. <laughs> I can't right. leave this wall without having one last sushi. <laughs> <laughs> really nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, Chef Chef Pinta, thanks a lot. Fa- thanks a lot for for sharing your story, sharing um, advices. Um, it's for me really fascinating you know what you built um also i i saw your youtube videos how you perform on stage and and the 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 restaurant you do so thanks a lot for your work thanks a lot for sharing the passion here to all the listeners thanks um, a lot for listening and hear you next time